Hello and welcome to our Sunday morning, the 6th of September. Uh, maybe you joined us live for our worship. Maybe you're listening to this uh, a little bit later on and we're in a series on the book of Acts. And some of you will have been following the story. And we've come to Acts chapter 3, which is a story of an incredible miracle and uh, all sorts of things that happened as a result of this miracle. Now, the scene is the city of Jerusalem. I want to just paint a little picture for you before we actually look at the story. Jerusalem city, the centre of Judaism, was a place of pilgrimage for Jews from all over the country and other nations too, and they came three times a year for great religious festivals. And the focus of their interest was a particular place, which was the temple, where sacrifices and worship took place, where the priests presided, and where the presence of God was supposed to reside in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Now, a ruler just before this time called Herod the Great, who ruled at the time when Jesus was born, had uh, redesigned the temple. He'd rebuilt the external structure. You've got the building in the middle. But what he built is a very large compound around the temple, a huge paved area which people could use to mill around, to congregate, to have teachings, to sing in private or family groups, to socialize, to eat food. And uh, this completely changed the nature of the temple. And this is the uh, location of this miracle that we're going to be talking about today. Now, in the city of Jerusalem at this time, there were very few open spaces. It was a tightly compact city with narrow streets. If you've seen any pictures of the old city of Jerusalem now, it looks uh, not so different in terms of spatial arrangements. So there wasn't really anywhere to go to gather in large numbers. There weren't big parks and big public squares like we'd have in a modern city. But there was the temple. Religion and sacrifice in the middle, but socialising around the edge. Now, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he would go into the temple compound to teach, to perform miracles, uh, to challenge the religious authorities. We can read about this in the Gospels. He often was in the temple compound, and that's the place where crowds could gather. And the priests in the temple and their Associates, the Pharisees and others, were the ones who had adjudicated Jesus's death. And at 3 p.m. on Good Friday, when Jesus died, the curtain in the inner sanctuary of the temple had torn in two from top to bottom. So the temple was a very, very significant place. And we already know that after this amazing day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people uh, became believers in Jesus as Messiah just on one day, and every day after that, more and more people believed. From that moment, we know that the apostles decided that the best meeting place was the temple compound, this great paved area around the temple, because that's where hundreds of people could gather safely and freely in the city of Jerusalem. This is the place uh, that we are talking about as we come to our story now. Now, the religious ceremonies of the Jews were still going on, the sacrifices were going on, and they had set times of prayer during the day. The church is growing, 
Dave gave us a, a view of that in the talk he gave two weeks ago, which is the last talk in this series, uh, when he looked at the passage at the end of Acts chapter 2, and we saw the church growing and developing. And we also saw that the church was meeting, uh, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, Acts 2.46. So they've got regular meetings in the temple. But they also use the temple as a place to go to the Jewish times of prayer. One of those times of prayer was 3 p.m. in the afternoon, where there was a sacrifice and some ritual prayers and singing conducted by the priests. And anyone uh, was allowed to go and participate uh, in that prayer. Now, that's the exact moment we're going to pick up this story, because two of the apostles, Peter and John, on this particular day when this miracle happened, they went up to the temple at 3 p.m. Just before 3 p.m., they were heading to the traditional worship service, the prayer service run by the priests. And as they were going through the compound, which had lots of different sections and gates, as they got nearer and nearer the, the centre of the temple, something extraordinary happened, which sparked all the extraordinary events of Acts chapter 3. So let's read the first part of this story. Acts 3 verses 1 to 11. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him while the man held on to peter and john all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called solomon's colonnade what a dramatic story there we are peter and john they're going to worship they're going to a prayer service they're focused on private worship. They're not there for a public meeting, as far as we can tell, of their own. They're just going to worship the living God. And suddenly they encounter this lame man. Now, in the ancient uh, country of Israel, like many modern developing countries, beggars are to be seen everywhere. And, and nowhere was better to beg than the temple. 
for the simple reason that people were being very religious when they came to the temple and they knew that giving money to the poor was one of the duties of Judaism and secondly there's an awful lot of people going to the temple it's a very important destination so it's a good place to sit and beg now this man had been lame from birth if he was 30 years old at this time he'd have been begging for 15 to 20 years of his life probably and as lame from birth he'd never walked he'd never had a job he'd never been economically independent somebody had to bring him to uh, the temple compound uh, some people had to bring him he couldn't get there on his own it's probably a daily routine and this was his income it was a pitiful sight a man who had no prospects no future no secure income no family of his own probably no home of his own he had nothing and he cried out and he begged all he wanted was money now in the encounter between the apostles and this man peter instinctively senses the holy spirit in him calling upon him to perform this miracle in the power of the name of Jesus. Now we already know from the previous chapter that the apostles had started performing miracles that were similar to the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry. We already see that recorded at the end of Acts chapter 2 and we see many other examples as the book of Acts proceeds. So it appears that the apostles particularly had remarkable miraculous powers and gifts of healing given to them by the Holy Spirit to help them conduct their ministry and so G so Peter picks the man up by his right hand and quite confidently proclaims his healing in a way which is so stunningly miraculous that there's no possibility of explaining this miracle in any way other than divine intervention because this man has never walked all his muscles are atrophied they're not functioning normally he's never used his legs to walk in the way that uh, toddlers do from from the age of one or two he'd never done it and yet he could walk not only could he walk he could run he could jump what an extraordinary miracle was being performed which of course led the man to run around and tell people causing a tremendous commotion because at this time of prayer just before 3 p.m lots of other Jews are going to the central temple area where this prayer service is going to be conducted they're gathering hundreds of them and yet as they're gathering this man's running around rushing between them crying out i've been healed i've been healed in the name of jesus of nazareth and so a crowd gathers and they gather in a part of the temple called solomon's colonnades this was something that herod the great had built uh, a covered area right on the edge of the temple and this is where jesus had been before we find that the apostles go there again uh, there's, a, there's a covered area and then a huge open area next to it. it it's one of the big open areas of the temple and so a crowd begins to gather at this part of the temple 
and Peter realizes that he's no longer heading for the 3 p.m. prayer service in the inner courts of the temple. He's being diverted by the Holy Spirit to, to do something at that point far more important. He sees the crowd gathering and he speaks to them completely spontaneously. This is an unprepared sermon, if ever there was one. And this is the second part of our reading, which we're going to read now. So we're going to read from Acts 3, verse 12, through to the end of the chapter, verse 26. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had uh, foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time, he, time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you, Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God's God raised up his servant. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, the first thing that Peter had to resolve was the fact that, that the um, lame man was literally clinging on to Peter and John and probably saying, you know, these are the men who, who've healed me. And so um, in this moment of excitement, Peter's very, very quickly trying to divert the attention away from them, Peter and John, and onto Jesus. And he retells the story to the crowd of what had happened in Jerusalem in the previous weeks and months, because it was in that very location that the priests, as I said earlier, had 
condemned Jesus as a false messiah, handed him over to the Roman authorities who crucified him on Good Friday. It's in that very city that three days later Jesus had risen again from the dead and appeared on a number of occasions to his disciples and others. And it's in that very location on the day of Pentecost, just a little bit of time before now, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out and thousands of people had started believing in Jesus as Messiah. So everybody knew the background story. They were still talking about it and they had these new Christian believers in their midst, thousands of them in the city. If there were 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost, we don't know how many there were by the time maybe a few weeks later that this incident took place. We don't know the exact timing, but there are thousands of believers and the rumours going around the city, Jesus is the Messiah. He rose again from the dead and Peter is here confirming that he's a true Messiah, not the false Messiah. He has risen from the dead. So he points everybody towards Jesus. He's immediately calling on them to believe in Jesus. Now this begins to tell us one of the functions of miracles in the New Testament. The miracles act as signposts. This is really helpful to understand the theology of miracles. In the book of Acts, miracles will be beneficial, of course, to the sufferers. God's compassion is shown to them, but they're also significantly signposts to the kingdom. And Peter's got a signpost right in front of him. Here he is speaking. The man is right there in the crowd. People can see him. Many of them recognize him personally because they've walked through that same gate. They've seen him there for years and now he's, he's, he's no longer lame. He's no longer begging. He's jumping up and down for joy, full of excitement. It's a signpost. A signpost to what? To the identity of Jesus as the Son of God to the fact that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again for us. And as this passage goes on, we see that Peter says and that he's coming back again. The Messiah is going to be sent to you in the future at the time when God's going to restore all things. That expression to restore all things is a reference to the time of the second coming. So he immediately orientates the crowd to Jesus Christ in all his glory, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to glory, and his coming return. And he invites the crowd to repent, to change their mind about who Jesus is. And he points out that it's faith in Jesus that brings these miracles about. So this is a dramatic sermon based on an extraordinarily dramatic event that took place. Now we can imagine what the priests and the religious authorities were thinking. They controlled this area. The Roman soldiers never came into the temple compound. It was patrolled by the guards that uh, were appointed by the high priest and the other religious leaders. They made sure that everything was done in order. It's those very guards who were probably watching this event with the same ones who were sent to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. The same priests who had condemned Jesus as the false Messiah are now hearing that he's being proclaimed as the true Son of God in their temple compound, in their own area. This will lead to real conflict with the religious authorities, which comes into play 
in the subsequent chapters, as we'll see in due course. Now, as we just conclude this short message on this amazing story, I want to just um, make a few observations and reflections. First of all, miracles have a unique power as signpost to the kingdom. And today, 2000 years later, we don't have the apostles among us with their remarkable miraculous powers, which have been prophesied by Jesus to be given to them. But we do have miracles that happen in the modern church, miracles of healing uh, and other miracles that indicate the coming of the kingdom. They are signposts. But in the Western church, we have, generally speaking, not found it easy to believe for these kinds of miracles. They've been rare in the church in the Western world. But I want to just set that experience in context, because sometimes we use our experience to interpret scripture. We, we, we go through the lens of our experience as if our experience is the primary reality. It's not. The primary reality is the scripture. And if we look at the experience of Christians in other parts of the world where the spirit is moving particularly powerfully and even revival is taking place, we find outbreaks of miracles of the same caliber as we see here. We could quote the Korean revival of the 20th century. We could quote numerous examples from the current revival um, and growth of the church in China, which has been going on since probably the 1970s. And the testimony of, of astounding healing miracles are just overwhelming. We could quote many examples from the fast-growing Latin American churches. And so a level of faith for these miracles needs to develop. One of the applications for me of this particular talk and I'm preaching it, but I have to search my own heart, is, Lord, give me more faith that miracles will take place, especially uh, amongst unbelievers, such as this, this lame man, uh, which will then be signposts for your kingdom. Here's another learning point that I have from this passage. Isn't it interesting that Peter was really quick on the uptake? He didn't hesitate. Crowd gathered, he spoke straight away. Now, that is another lesson to me. So as I was preparing this talk, I was thinking, gosh, I need to be on the front foot and take my opportunities. You know what it's like when sharing your faith? You wonder when the opportunity is going to come and very suddenly an opportunity opens up and sometimes it passes you by, doesn't it? Because you weren't ready. You didn't quite know what to say. Well, here's an interesting observation. Once I'd finished writing the notes of this talk just a few days ago. Within three hours, I had two encounters with people that both opened up opportunities to share about my faith, just briefly on both occasions. And as soon as that opportunity came, I thought of the passage and I spoke straight away to two different people in two different contexts within three hours of preparing this passage. My prayer is that you'll have opportunities this coming week to share your faith. And my second prayer is, when those opportunities come, you'll be ready. Peter was ready. 
Now, there's also a tragedy in this passage because Peter describes the Jews here. Remember, this is a Jewish congregation who knew the Old Testament and they had all the history as described in his, his, his message. There's a lot of reference to the Old Testament and the prophets and the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all those other things. Um, they're heirs of the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament, but the tragedy is many of them didn't believe. They missed the opportunity. Now, if ever there was an opportunity to understand about Jesus, it was given to the Jews of this generation. Jesus had been raised in that very city. The day of Pentecost had taken place in that very city. The apostles were resident in the city. They could ask people about Jesus in the city. Miracles were taking place amongst them in that city at that very time. They had all the evidence before them, but not all of them believed. Even when great miracles happen, that does not mean that people will automatically believe. We still need another miracle, the miracle of repentance and change in the human heart. Now I want to end this talk in a moment uh, with a final observation. Here's something about this passage I've never heard anyone mention before, but it just occurred to me when I was studying it um, some time ago, and that thought has come back to me now. This lame man, when he was healed, he lost his only source of income, begging. He had no job, no career, as far as we know, no home, no wife and children, and no family in that sense. He must have had some friends who brought him uh, to the begging place by the beautiful gate regularly. But he lost that income. No longer could he sit there. What happened to him? How did he make ends meet? Now, this is where the different dimensions of the New Testament church in the book of Acts come together, because we already know from the talk that Dave gave two weeks ago that they shared generously their possessions and made sure that no one had any need. So the beautiful thing about this man is not only was he healed, but he had the opportunity to join a community that could meet his economic needs until such a time as he could get a job for himself. God's salvation is in the spirit where we are born again, as he must have been, uh, in the body where we can be healed but also in community and material provision. And that is beautifully seen in the Jerusalem church, as we've already seen and as we'll see several times again as we continue this series. I really hope you've enjoyed this talk and I hope that some of those application points are ones that you can pick up so that this story is just not a story about something that happened 2000 years ago, but a story that can really encourage you and strengthen you in your faith and perhaps move you out of a degree of passivity. Be ready for what God could do through, through you. Who knows what he might do through you in this coming week. Thanks for listening.